You guys can go ahead and have a seat. As you uh, sit down, why don't you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We're going to finish up Acts chapter 13 today. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can take that Bible and open up to Acts 13, page 921. We're going to finish off the chapter Before we uh, jump into the actual passage, where we find ourselves right now is um, Paul and Barnabas are traveling as um, missionaries, um, and Paul finds himself with Barnabas at a city called Antioch in Peseda. It's a different um, Antioch, and what he's going to do is he's going to go to the synagogue. Remember I said last week his natural rhythm of ministry is to go to a new city, go to a synagogue, find a synagogue, go to it, and hopes to proclaim the gospel for a couple of reasons. Why? Because one, the gospel was first to the Jews, and also it's kind of like an easy opportunity, right, where there is a lot of, of connections that he can make to the Old Testament um, and with Jesus, and he's going to do that in, in this passage. So this is one of his first sermons that we're going to see. This is the beginning part of his ministry. And as we read in previous chapters or sections of this chapter, we, we know that Barnabas uh, is, is the primary leader of this missionary endeavor. But in this moment, now it changes. Paul is the primary missionary. He's the primary preacher. Um, he goes to the synagogue, and the leaders of the synagogue send a note to Paul and say, hey, would you mind coming up front to preach? Like, that's the equivalent of me going to someone in this room, right? Like, I don't know, someone in this room and say, hey, like, listen, why don't you come up and preach the sermon, and we'll just listen to you. Um, that's what actually happens, and, and for many of you are like, oh, absolutely not. There's no way on God's green earth will I step up there and preach. I used to think the same thing too. Um, and, and, but he, that's what happens. So he's invited to come to preach, and he's like, why not, right? And I think of that passage in First Peter, right, to always be prepared to give a defense for the gospel. That's exactly what happens. So, so Peter's about to preach, and, and here's what Peter's, I mean, excuse me, Paul's about to preach, and here's what Paul's going to do. Paul's going to remind the people at the synagogue that God has been faithful all throughout history. So the title of today's sermon is Remember. And, and what is he going to ask them to remember? What is he going to tell them? He doesn't explicitly say, hey, remember, but he's going to point to major events and moments in history where God has proven himself to be gracious, kind, merciful, benevolent, where God has provided and led his people. He's going to show them every single time where God has intervened on their behalf so that they can believe. Believe in who? Believe in Jesus, right? As God has been faithful to his people, he's been faithful even now. He's been faithful to us. How? Through Jesus, by his death and resurrection, he has been faithful. And I think the message for us this morning is to remember ourselves, to remember that God is faithful, to remember that God is faithful and we can trust him. Why? Because we are tempted to forget when God has been faithful. 
Because what's the point of remembering when God has been faithful? What's the point of remembering how God has intervened in our lives, in our church, in our community, is so that we would in return to that faithfulness either repent of our sin or it would lead us to worship. And what does God desire? God desires that we would worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and that's what Paul wants to do here. He wants them to remember because they can forget. They, forget. they can forget over time. They can forget that God has been faithful. And, and it might lead them to disbelief. It might lead them to worry or fear. But if you remember that God has been faithful, then you are encouraged to believe that he can be faithful to you now. And in response to that faithfulness, you can worship him. So that's what, that's what Paul doing. In fact, that's the whole sermon, so we can be done right now if you wanted, but we can't do that. I can't do that. That would be, that would make me anxious. I have to talk for at least 40 minutes, and then we can go. So let's, let's look at verse 16. This is what happens. Men of Israel, this is Paul's sermon in the synagogue. Men of Israel, and you who fear God. Who are the people who fear God? I think he's pointing to the Gentile Jews, right? These are people who are not Jewish by ethnicity, but have come to Judaism in religion. Verse 17, the God of this people, Israel, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Let's stop right there, right? So, so there's, a, there's a lot to, to, to point to, right? Like, okay, so he's saying, how has God been faithful in the past? What have we seen God do? And, and, and this is the things that he reminds them, right? In verse 17, he tells them, remember that God has chosen us. He, he picked us out out of all the nations that he could have chosen to be his people, he chose us out of his own desire and his good pleasure. He chose those people, right, to give them the law, to give them Moses, to give them King David, to give them a promise and a covenant. It was those people that he chose. What else are they to remember? They're to remember that he multiplied them in great number. That, that's the whole point, what he's saying in verse 17. Remember when we were enslaved. Remember when we were oppressed and what did God do? He still blessed us during that great trial and that oppression. He made us great. He made us multiply. Like we grew and we expanded. And not only that, he let us out. Remember that God heard us. Remember Exodus chapter 2, that God heard and he knew. Remember how he let us out of captivity and remember when he put up with us when we were in the wilderness. Remember that God has been patient to us. This is the most powerful testimony of God's faithfulness to the Jewish people, right? That, that he rescued them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness and then long-term wanted them to be in a land where he will bless them and they can worship him and not be afraid of, of the foreigners, like they had a place of their own. And this is the greatest testimony that you'll see of God's faithfulness in the Old Testament for the Jewish people. 
And what Paul is reminding them, he has been faithful. He's been doing this the whole time. So he's building on the sermon. Okay, remember back then. Now, look what else does he say. Look at verse 19. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. Also, all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse. Just a side note, notice how um, he identifies King David. He says, David, the son of Jesse. He doesn't say King David. He says, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who would do my will. And look how he he, he built a connection to Jesus. Of this man's offspring, God had brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. He doesn't say Jesus, uh, son of Joseph. He doesn't say Jesus, son of Mary. In fact, what he says, the savior, God, the connection. You see? So what he's pointing to is to the people that uh, apart from David, like Jesus is better. David was good and gracious and loving and went after God's own heart, but there's someone who came after him who's better and it's Jesus. And, and who is he? The savior. For what people? Israel. Verse 24. Before his coming, John proclaimed. So now he says, Remember that promise in the Old Testament. Now let's talk about today. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose I am? I am not he. No, but behold, now he's quoting the gospel of John. After me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So not, how, not only has God been faithful by choosing his people, by, by multiplying his people, by leading his people out of Egypt, but look how God has been faithful. He, not, he now provides for his people. He speaks to his people, right? So, so apart from giving the people what they needed, right, he also speaks to them. How does he speak to them? He spoke to them through the judges. He spoke to them to the prophet, and he spoke to them to the prophet of Samuel, right? That's how God has been faithful to us. That when we needed to hear his voice, he provided someone to speak on his behalf so we can know his will, so that we can know what he wants us to do, so that he can lead us and guide us. And when the people wanted a king, because they looked at the other nations and God said, I want to be your king. I want to rule and reign over you. They said, no, we want an earthly king. And he says, all right, I'll give you an earthly king. And when that king wasn't good to them or good to God, he removed them. And what does he say? He gave them a better king. He gave them David. And how good that relationship was. Well, it was good because he made him a promise. A promise to his people that they would be beneficiaries of, of, of the Savior that would come and rescue them. Rescue them from what? Rescue them from their sin. And that's what he'll say in a little bit. And not only has God spoken to them through the judges and to the prophets, not only has God made a promise to them through King David, he's also prepared his people. How has he prepared them? He's prepared them through John the Baptist. 
So think about the time that has passed from the time that God made a promise to King David and the time that they find themselves in the New Testament. Generations have passed by and God made his promise. Where is the Lord in all this? Nations and empires have come to rule over the people. Where is that promise? Where is the savior? And once again, God proves himself to be faithful so that his people can trust them by providing another prophet, John the Baptist, to prepare the way for Jesus. God is faithful. And if God is faithful to them, surely God is faithful to us, right? Like if he did all those things for them because he loved them, because he cared for them, what would he do for us? We who are not Jewish, like, what would God do for us? That's the hope that we have. And in fact, that's the hope that Peter provides. Now, Peter is going to not only remind them how God has been faithful in the past, he's going to remind them how God has been faithful in the present far beyond just providing a prophet in John the Baptist, but providing someone else. And here are two ways that God has been faithful to them and also to us. How has God been faithful to us? Because it's timeless now. Like, it's timeless of how we see God's faithfulness. And he points to this in verses 26 to 39. Two ways that we can remember how God has been faithful to us now. That we can think about in this present moment how God continues to be gracious, merciful, kind, and benevolent to his people, us believers. This is how God has been faithful when he accomplished his promise to his people through Jesus. The second thing is by saving his people through Jesus from sin and death. That is how God is being faithful to his people. So he's, so he's showing them in this moment, if you're tempted to believe that God is no longer faithful, or if you're tempted to think that, that God is not going to be faithful because time has passed, and, and the time of the exile, and the time of King David, and the prophets have been long gone, and the time of the prophet John the Baptist is long gone, how can God be faithful now? And what Paul's going to say in verses 26 to 39 is that he's been faithful through his son Jesus and he's going to share the gospel. He's going to show them how God has been faithful. He's going to demonstrate that God is capable to keep his promises to his people, that God has not nullified his promises. And one of the ways he does this, and I think it's interesting, if you look down to verse 29, this is an interesting portion of scripture, in my opinion, in which God has been faithful to to us and to this people. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, he's talking about Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So how has God been faithful? Beyond God's faithfulness to his people, 
God was faithful to Jesus, his son. How was God faithful to Jesus, his son? It's because Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins so that we can be in a right relationship with God, he raises him up from the dead, vindicating the work of the cross. So as they're listening to this message, they're reminded like, wait a minute, how can God allow an innocent person to die a brutal death on behalf of many people? How is God just? How is God right to allow his son to take on the full wrath of God? To take our place so that we can have life. How is that fair? You know what he says? He said God is faithful because he didn't stay in the grave. He didn't stay in the tomb. By God's power through the spirit, rose him again on the third day. Like that is the faithfulness of God, that he vindicated the work of Christ so that it would demonstrate to an unbelieving world that God is gracious and loving and kind and he's faithful to everything he says. Nothing that comes out of his mouth doesn't come accomplished. It always is accomplished and we see it specifically in Jesus. God is faithful. So what should be their response? What should be our response? When I tell you that God is faithful, that he's always been faithful to you, he's never demonstrated to you or me a time that he has not been gracious, kind, loving, merciful to us. What should be the response? Should it be worship? It should be praise? It should be acceptance? It should be belief? But how do you think they responded? How do you think the people in the synagogue as they're listening to this message, right? Like he's saying, God is faithful, God is faithful. Remember when, remember when, and boom, this is how God is faithful right now, that you can have life and you can have it life right now. How, how do you think they respond? Well, I think we kind of know how they respond, but before they respond, this is what he says to them. Look at verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, he's talking about Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. What is he saying? He's saying, as I'm speaking right now, what I'm preaching to you is God's faithfulness through his son Jesus, and you have an opportunity to respond. Respond to the gospel message, to be forgiven of your sins. But even more than that, for them, look at verse 39. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. When you think about this, this is a bold statement on behalf of Paul. It's a bold statement because, one, he's showing, in some sense, the idolatry of the law, right? Like, when you think about the history of God's people in the Bible, there's almost like two different groups of people. In the Old Testament, they always rebelled, never believed, never kept the law. Constantly be reminded, hey, like, you, you need to obey, you need to follow. You want to be blessed, you need to obey and follow. Then, 
in the New Testament is almost like a whole new group of people. It's like they got it. They kept the law. In fact, they kept it so, so hard that like they, they put more laws on top of the laws. And they held it tightly. Why? Because the law for them, it gave them power over their sanctification process. It gave them, right, like the checklist of like, I did all these things, therefore I'm in a right relationship with God. And, and that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying is no, that, that's not true anymore. That, that you can be freed from the burden of following the law. You can be freed from checking off the list of thinking that if you did this, you can be saved. And if you did that or didn't do that, that somehow you're being sanctified. Like you can be freed from the burden and pressure of having to perform the righteousness. You can be freed from that. How? By believing. On the one hand, Paul is offering them faith in Jesus by which his righteousness is imputed on them, meaning that he declares them righteous, he makes them righteous, and when they stand before a holy God, God sees the work of the cross done for them, and he says, they are righteous. Or they have the option of continuing in the slavery of following the law and never able to obtain justification or righteousness. Two options. Continue in the pattern or be freed from the pattern, right? And in fact, this is interesting that Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one would be justified. This is the main way we can see that God has been faithful, that we are free from that burden. And now in a right relationship with Jesus, he makes us righteous, he makes us good, he changes us, he gives us new life so that we can have life with him forever. So how do they respond? There's two responses that we see. One of the first responses that we'll see is that many of the people in the synagogue actually say, whoa, this is good. This is really good. They actually talk to Paul and say, you gotta come back and preach more. Like, we want to know more. Like, would you continue to teach us more about this, this grace that, you, that you're preaching about, right? And, and what does Paul and Barnabas do? The next week they come, but this is what happens. The entire city shows up to the synagogue or wherever they were at. Most of the people in the, of the city show up. And what's the first response that the, the Jewish community, particularly the Jewish leaders in the synagogue have? What's the first response? The first response is rejection. Isn't that amazing? That the first response that they have is rejecting the gospel. Why? Because the Bible says, if you look at that passage, the Bible says they were jealous. Imagine that, that someone offers you life, that someone offers you the freedom to live a righteous life by believing in Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus, and the reason why you reject it, the reason why you reject the freedom is because you're jealous. 
You're jealous that they're preaching and that they've been able to influence the community to come hear the gospel. Is it? That's mind-blowing to me. You're jealous because they're going to receive the grace that God has given them, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. They were jealous because, because they thought that it was for them. The problem was that the people of God from the Old Testament and the New Testament, they had a major problem. They had a major defect. They believed and appropriated God's promises only for them. They believed that, that what God was doing was only for them. But what God had always intended since Genesis is that God would show his grace and his mercy to all nations through them. But they didn't want that. They wanted it for themselves. So they were jealous. Imagine that, that they were sitting there looking and they were angry. And the Bible says they were blaspheming. They rejected the gospel because they were jealous. I think the same thing is true for us sometimes. Like we often, right? We often, when we forget about God's faithfulness, we look at other people and we see how he's being faithful to them and we, we see how God is being gracious and loving and merciful for them and then we say, how come he doesn't do that for me? What? Why do they get to have that type of life? And why do they get that house and that car? And why do they get, why do they get that good life? Like, why do all their kids serve Jesus and my kids don't serve Jesus? Like, like we do the same thing here. We become envious seeing God's grace and mercy lavished on other people. And then we have a sense of entitlement believing, no, that should be for us. That's for me. Imagine that, to be sitting there, people in bondage to sin and death, and the response is no, because of jealousy. But then there's a second response. This is not a Debbie Downer sermon. There's a second response. And it's the response that many of us have had. If you're a born-again Christian, if you're a Bible-believing person, if you put your faith in Jesus, this is what we did. This is beautiful because this is a testimony of what God has been doing through generations, right? The same thing that these people, the way the Gentiles responded is the same way we responded. They responded with acceptance. They responded with acceptance. I, I want you to take a look at verse uh, 40, uh, excuse me, not 44. Take a look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believe and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. What was their response? Their response was with great humility. Not like pride, like the Jewish leaders had, but with humility. And their humility led them to worship and praise, right? Why? Think about this, right? Like when Paul's preaching, he's saying, remember how God was faithful during the exile and the judges and the kings and even now. Remember, the Gentiles have no direct connection to those stories. Like some of them are, are not um, Jewish by ethnicity, Many of them are not there. Like the people in the city are not connected to those stories. But, but why would they respond? Why would they accept? 
Why would they believe when it's not about them? You know why they believed? They believed because, because they saw and understood the better thing. Think about it. All the stories in the Old Testament point to Jesus. So Moses, when he leads his people out of Egypt, who is he like? Jesus, who leads us out of our Egypt, our slavery ascended, and brings us out. Like, who is King David a representative of? He's a representative of Jesus, right? Who does the will of the Father, who loves and cares for his people. Who is Jesus? Who is Samuel like? Jesus, a prophet to speak on behalf of God to lead them, to guide them, right? Like, that is Jesus who spoke on, on God the Father's behalf to proclaim the good news, right? Like what they're witnessing in that moment is a history of God's faithfulness, not only to the Jewish people, but to them because now they have access to God beyond the law, beyond Judaism. They have access to God through Jesus. So their response is worship and praise. The second reason why they responded with acceptance is because they believed that God called and appointed them to be believers. They believed that in that moment, God orchestrated for them to hear the gospel and that he in turn changed their hearts and minds so that they can rightfully respond in faith. They believed that it was that moment that God ordained so that they would receive salvation. And the response is worship. Their response was praise. Their response was joy. What should be our response? Or rather, when should we remember God is faithful? And how should we respond during those times. I want to give you just a quick four points of when we should remember God is faithful in the past and now that we see in this passage that is applicable to us. There are four, four times in our lives, or these are four examples um, we should remember. And the first one is when we're tempted to go back to our sinful patterns, right? Like Paul warns them, actually, when, I, when he's preaching the gospel, hey, before you respond, do not respond how our forefathers responded. He actually quotes Habakkuk and he says, do not respond how they responded. Do not deny the message. Receive the message, right? Do not do what they did. And they did it anyway. Why? Because they forgot God's redemptive plan, God's grace and mercy was for them and for all people. So we, in return, should remember when God is faithful, remember when God was gracious and merciful to us, when we are tempted to fall back in our sinful patterns. We should remember God is faithful when we're tempted to be jealous of how God is gracious to others and not us. They were jealous because... They wanted the power and the influence. The way you protect yourself from jealousy is to remember that God is gracious to you too and he has blessed you and he has given you all that you need to serve him, to love him, and to honor him 
and that you don't need anything else. You just need him. The other way that you can remember God's faithfulness is when you're tempted to grow weary during opposition. We see that in verse 50. Because here's what happens. The Jewish leaders of the synagogue decide now that it would be best if they can rally the troops in the city, particularly the influential women and men of the city, to persecute John, I mean, to persecute Paul and Barnabas. And, and in that moment, right, what do we see in all this passage? We just mentioned to you, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. God was continuing to do his work. They would be continually reminded that God is still saving and God is still working and his message is still going forth. Remember God is faithful when you grow weary of opposition. And the last thing is, remember God is faithful when you're tempted to grow weary of disbelief of others. It's easy to look at this passage and say, man, many of the Jewish leaders, if not all of them, and many of the Jewish community didn't believe. Then you might be tempted to think and feel sorry why didn't they believe? We might grow weary too as well when we see a loved one who has not been saved, when we see a spouse that has not come back to the Lord, right? Like I think of the children in kids ministry or middle schoolers and high schoolers, right? Like, like think about them. You might grow weary to think God can't do this. God is not faithful, Remember how he's been faithful in the past and believe that he will do it now. You can trust him. You can trust him with the salvation of your loved ones. And what are the results really quickly? Look at the results uh, in a couple of verses, right? We see in verse 48, the results of remembering God's faithfulness is joy in the present time. We see this in verse 48 and 52. We also see gratitude towards God and his word in verse 48. The response of the Gentile people in hearing the gospel was gratitude to God that they were receiving this salvation that they could not in themselves obtain, that God gave it to them. And also they trusted in God's sovereignty trusted that he was orchestrating a plan, and that plan included them as well. Also, we see a result is perseverance in the faith. It did not stop Barnabas, it did not stop Paul, or it did not stop the proclamation of the gospel to continue to move forward. You want to have more joy in your life? Remember when God has been good to you in the past. You, you want a spirit or an attitude of gratitude? I didn't mean to do that. A spirit and an attitude of gratitude. That sounds pretty cool. Um, if you want to like be more, like you want to have more love and joy in your life, remember when God has been faithful. Like, like remember that God has always been good to us and respond with worship. Respond with praise. Respond with great joy that he has done this for you and the testimony of his son, Jesus. God is faithful, ladies and gentlemen. You and I can trust him even when we don't feel like it. Amen? Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for your faithfulness all throughout history and we ask you, Lord, this morning that you would remind us when we grow weary 
when we grow tired, when we grow anxious and fearful about the world that we live in or life, life's problems and situations, God, would you remind us in the ways that you have been good and gracious and kind and benevolent to us, Lord? And God, we thank you this morning as well. We thank you for every time that you've been faithful to us. I think, Lord, personally of my own salvation. I think of the time you saved me out of the muck and the mire and that you gave me a heart that was one stone but now a flesh. God, I thank you that you caused my mind and my heart to respond to your saving grace in ways that I couldn't do before. God, I thank you, O oh Lord, that despite an unbelieving world and despite all the troubles and opposition the church faces and all the troubles of this community, the city, and this country as well, Lord, that you remain to be faithful. So God, we trust you with our lives, we trust you with our plans, we trust you with our present, but we also trust you with our future. Would you be glorified and magnified? In Christ's name, amen. And the people of God say? Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. We'll see you guys next week. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.